0: Congregation, please open your Bibles with me to the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians, the epistle of Paul to the Philippians. Now, we'll be reading from chapter 1, verse 27, through to chapter 2, verse 11. In your bulletins it says we'll be reading verse 1 through 11, but... Really, we'll be reading from chapter 1, verse 27, through chapter 2, verse 11. And we'll focus in this morning, although we'll refer to the rest of it, we'll focus in this morning to verse 5 through 11. So we'll read from verse 1, 27 through 2, 11, and we'll focus in on verse 5 through 11. Hear the word of the Lord. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition but to you of salvation and that from God. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy... Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. The passage for this morning, let this mind be in you. And given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Thus far the reading of God's holy, inerrant, and perfect word. Let's pray. Lord God, we come before you asking you this morning that you would teach us humility through Christ's humility, and that you would teach us humility through Christ's exaltation, that you would teach us to have that same mind which is in Christ for the sake of the church, for the blessing of her people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, at the signing of the Declaration of Independence, supposedly, Ben Franklin said, Gentlemen, now we must all hang together, or most assuredly, we will all hang separately. We must all hang together, or we will all hang separately. No, we can't know for certain whether he actually said this or not. It's something that has been a part of American tradition, you might say, for quite a long time. And the point of what he was saying was very true. True. The people signing the Declaration of Independence knew that if they were not united in their fight for independence, then they would all be captured, tried, executed for treason. The colonies of New England needed to be united in order order to weather the storm that they knew that was coming. Now if we consider, brothers and sisters, the context of what's going on in Paul's life and in the life of the Philippians, you'll find that their situation was somewhat similar. Paul is speaking to a people by, who, by all indication, are facing persecution and difficulty. We see this in Philippians chapter 1, verse 28 and 29, where Paul speaks of the opponent's of the Philippians, and then he says, For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Paul knows that the Philippians are going through difficulty. And to make matters worse. While Paul yearns to be with them, to be someone who can strengthen them in their time of need, Nonetheless, he can't be there. He himself is facing persecution in prison. And by the tone of the letter of the Philippians, it seems he's not sure whether he will live or die. He's not sure what will happen to himself. And so in verse 1 through 4, the context of our passage this morning, Paul pleads for the people to be united. Much like Ben Franklin to say, hang together or else we will all hang separately. There's one thing in particular that Paul believes will keep them bound together. And that is humility. Above all other things, humility. To place ourselves below everyone else. He says in verse 3 and 4 of chapter 2 let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Brothers and sisters, Although now we do not face the same visible persecution that the church of Philippi faced, nonetheless, the same thing that holds for Paul holds true for us. If we do not hang together, we will all hang separately. The world does not wish to see The people of God worshiping Christ. The world does not wish to see Christ's name upheld. The world does not wish to see a people called out for Christ's own possession. And because of this, we as a church need to be united. It's this idea. Paul wants us to consider this morning humility for the sake of unity in the church. And in order to get his point across, Paul in our text uses Christ as an example. He says in verse 5 have this same mind in you that was in Christ Jesus. Our goal this morning, then, congregation, is to learn this humility through the example of Christ. And we'll see this in two ways. First, congregation, we will examine the humility of Christ, the humility of Christ and his abasement. And second of all, we will see the exaltation of Christ, the humility of Christ and the exaltation, sometimes referred to as the humiliation of Christ and his exaltation. We begin in verse 5-8 through with the humility of Christ. Look with me there. He says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Here, brothers and sisters, the humility of Christ is laid out in a striking fashion. But Paul does not begin with Christ's humility. Even though it's his purpose to treat of Christ's humility, he doesn't start there. On the contrary, he starts with Christ's glory. We see this in verse 6 a description of Christ is as divine, that Christ is in the form of God. Now there are some people who read this passage and seem to imagine that Paul is saying that Jesus is less than God in some way. They, they imagine that, well, Jesus is the form of God, and, but He's not God Himself. They try and claim that this passage doesn't teach the divinity of Christ. But that's not what Paul is getting at here. On the contrary, Paul is emphasizing Christ's divinity. The authors of Scripture elsewhere use several different terms, similar terms, to refer to this same idea. Colossians 1, verse 15. Paul says, no one excuse me, he is the image of of the invisible God. John chapter 1 verse 18. No one has ever seen the Father. The only begotten Son. He has made Him known. Hebrews 1 verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God. And the exact imprint of His nature. Once more 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 4. Paul refers to Christ as the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Even today, we use similar phrases to compare to two people that are similar. We say this person is the spitting image of his father. We say that this person is the mirror image of someone. And that's what Paul is trying to say here. Christ, as the form, the image, the radiance of the glory of God, is divine. Far from trying to reduce Christ Christ to less than divine, he's saying that whatever glory the Father has, the Son has as well. It's not robbery for Jesus to consider himself equal with God, because he is equal with God. In every way. The Father, eternal. And the Son, eternal. The Father, perfect. And the Son, perfect. The Father, sovereign. The Son, sovereign. The Father, glorious. The Son, glorious. Every perfection of the Father is perfectly reflected in His Son, who is the form of God. Why is this important for our text this morning? Because if we don't understand the height of Christ's glory, we will not understand how low He humbled Himself for our sakes. Brothers and sisters, consider what it means when Paul says that Christ is the form of God. Paul seeks to describe Christ as the very glory of the very radiance, the very image of the Father. And when we consider the rest of Scripture, we find that Christ is glorious in His divinity. So, if Christ had wanted to remain in heaven, He would have had every right. If Christ had done nothing for us poor and miserable sinners. He would have had the right. If Christ had made no plan, no promise regarding salvation, if Christ had not become man, He still would have been perfectly glorious, perfectly beautiful, perfectly worthy of all of our praise. He is the form of God, the glory of God. So when we speak of Christ and we consider of Christ as humble, the first thing we need to recognize is His rightful place. That He is beyond and above anything that can be named. His glory fills the heavens and the earth. The heavens of the heavens cannot contain Him. How much more striking, then, should it be to us, brothers and sisters, that when we consider the next verse, it declares to us that Christ emptied Himself, made Himself of no account. He didn't consider His equality with God something to be grasped at, something to take hold of, He didn't consider it robbery, but as verse 7 says, he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men. Where Christ was full of glory, full of beauty, he lowered himself. He lowered himself first in his incarnation. The passage speaks of him literally as emptying himself. That's what the word made himself of no reputation means here. Quite literally, it says he emptied himself. And Paul is trying to say here, not that Christ ceased to be divine. Paul is rather saying that Christ, when he became man, his glory was veiled. He has all this glory, but he made himself of no reputation. He emptied himself of all the visible glory. That Christ was not born in a palace with a crown on his head. On this earth, he did not sit upon a throne. He was not surrounded, at least visibly, by the panoply of angels. As Isaiah says, he has no form or comeliness, and when we saw him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He walked upon this earth in deserted places with the poor and the downtrodden, with the filth of humanity. He ate and drank with men and women that were horrible sinners, though repentant. He lived among and with us, brothers and sisters. Poor and vile sinners though we are, he deigned to make himself of no reputation. As he himself declared, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Christ was not recognized by his own. He was not received by his own. He was not loved by his own. Is this not astounding, brothers and sisters? That Christ would humble himself in his incarnation to become a man. And not just a man, but this passage tells us to take the form of a servant. To take the form of a slave. What does a servant do? Is a servant free to do whatever he wants? To seek his own glory? To seek his own blessing? To seek his own gifts? No. A servant's task is to take care of others. To work for others. To do that which others will not do. To place himself below everyone else and care and serve everyone else. That's the job of a servant. And that's the job Christ took upon himself. As Jesus himself said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Mark 10, verse 45. The wonder of Christ on this earth, brothers and sisters, consists in His humiliation. The glory of Christ on this earth consists in His humility. That He would lower Himself from the highest of the heavens, to be among those of us who are dust. Consider yourselves, brothers and sisters. Who are we in reality? Are we worth service? One Puritan puts it this way. Our father is Adam. Our grandfather is dust, our great-grandfather nothing. We were not worthy of service, yet Christ humbled himself for our sake. He deigned to live among us. Yet, brothers and sisters, the humility of Jesus Christ extends even further still to the humility of his death from his incarnate from his the glory of heaven he steps down to his incarnation and he steps further down to death and not just any death jesus didn't suffer a quick and painless death on our behalf he didn't suffer a death free from shame a painless execution he suffered paul says even the death of the cross Look upon this serving Savior's shameful death, brothers and sisters. Don't allow familiarity with the death of Christ to distract you from the humiliation that He went through. He was betrayed by Judas, a man who many considered to be one of His closest friends. Shame of shame. He was condemned to death by priests who were not deserving to be in His presence. Shame of shame. The same people he came to serve shouted, Crucify him. Pilate and Herod, weak imitations of the king of kings, allowed him to be brought to the cross. He was beaten, mocked, flogged. They pretended to pay homage to him for a joke. And when he was upon that cross, people walked by and shook their heads, jeering at him. And if this were not low enough, even those who were crucified by His sides thought they were better than Him, laughing at Him, mocking the Son of God. The cross was reserved for the dregs of society, the scum of the earth, the murderers and thieves and rebels. Not even the people crucified next to him would associate themselves with him, at least not at first. When he died, the king of all creation was quickly and unceremoniously wrapped up and placed in a tomb. No honor, no glory, no spices for his burial. Christ humbled himself, brothers and sisters. Christian, compare yourself to this suffering servant savior, shamed upon the cross. If anyone deserves honor, if anyone deserves glory, it is this Christ, the very form of God. But Christ made himself a servant, placing his own first, submitting himself to every abasement that can be imagined. And Scripture declares for us that he did it all, brothers and sisters, for those who are in him. He did it all for us, worms though we are, dust of the earth, if we are truly in Him in repentance. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, the humility of Christ should teach us to be humble as well. Paul wants us to imitate Christ. To have, as verse 5 says, that same mind which was in Christ. To look to Christ and to put Him into practice. Christ is equal with God, but we are at at best equal to other men. If Christ could lower himself for our sakes, then can we not lower ourselves from our pride and our vain glory to have a true opinion of ourselves? To place ourselves below others? to say for the sake of those in this church, for the sake of those around me, I will have a true opinion of myself, humble myself and serve those around me. Christ is full of true glory. But any glory we have comes from him. For this reason, verse 3, Paul says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. The word there literally translated conceit is, is, is literally translated vain glory, empty glory, false glory. Let us not then, brothers and sisters, have a false glory but have the mind which is in Christ to humble ourselves, to throw away envy and conceit, to turn to Him. Church of Christ, if you are in Christ, this suffering, shamed servant, let Christ's humility teach you humility. This is not the end of the passage. Paul goes on and he teaches us that we ought to learn humility also because of the exaltation of Christ. We ought to learn humility, Paul commands us to humility, because of the exaltation of Christ. Look with me at verse 9 through 11. Paul says, Therefore God also has highly exalted him, and given Him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The first word in verse 9 should strike us right between the eyes. Paul says, Therefore, Christ's exaltation results directly from His humiliation. Allow me to repeat that. Christ's exaltation results directly from His humiliation. Christ was made a servant for our sake, suffered for our sake, was humbled for our sake, died for our sake, and therefore, Paul says, He was exalted. That's not to say that Christ was not worthy of exaltation already. As we've already seen, Christ was in the form of God, worthy of all praise. But God the Father was eminently pleased in the work of Christ in His life and His death upon the cross. He was glorified in that moment of Jesus' death for our sakes. And for this reason, the Father exalts Christ. There are three things we need to see, especially about this exaltation of Christ, brothers and sisters. Three things that uh, Paul wants us to notice here. First, that Christ's exaltation is superlative. Christ's exaltation is superlative. Paul says in verse 9, Therefore God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. that the Father has anointed Christ with a name that is above every name, has exalted him beyond the furthest reaches of heaven. Names in Scripture often have power. They tell us something about the people they're referring to. When we look over Scripture, we often see that this is the case. But there's nothing mythical or, or, or mystical necessarily about this. What Paul is saying here is that Christ is exalted. He uses His name to refer to the person of Christ. We use the same idea even today. When we say that someone is famous, we often say that they're a household name. Because at the moment that we hear their name, they're recognized. When someone has a good reputation, we say they have a good name. When someone wants to defend their reputation, they say, I need to defend my name. When someone is angry with someone else, they say, your name is mud. And so what Paul is saying here is simply this. The Father exalted Christ to the highest place. He gave Him the highest position so that everyone who knows who He is, everyone who hears Him, everyone who hears His name, everyone who sees Him, indeed everyone, will recognize that He is above all others. Paul's saying that Jesus is given such a great glory. There is no higher glory than can be given. There is no one with greater glory. He is above and beyond all others. Second, however, not only is Christ's exaltation superlative, it's also ubiquitous. It's ubiquitous, meaning that it's everywhere. Paul says again, verse nine, that uh, excuse me, verse ten, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess. There is not a place without Christ's dominion. There is no place because of Christ's exaltation that is without His glory. In heaven, Paul says, every knee will bow to Jesus. Every angel, every heavenly being will recognize Christ's exaltation. On earth, Paul says, every man, woman, and child will recognize Christ's exaltation, will bow their knees, and will confess His name. Now, brothers, here with caution here, with carefulness, Paul says every, every person, He's not merely speaking of the church here. We said at the beginning of this sermon that there were those persecuting the church of the Philippians. We said at the beginning of the sermon that there are those who rebel against Christ. We saw that rebellion on full display in the death of Jesus Christ. But what do we see here? Every person. Whether you are a friend of God or rebel to Christ, whether you seek to embrace Him or you seek to spit in His eye, friend, you will kneel before Christ. You will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. If you do not do it now, you will do it later. And furthermore, all those, Paul says, who are under the earth, all those who are now in the grave, must and will recognize Christ's exaltation. Paul speaks of heaven and earth and under the earth, and by this he means Everyone and everything, everything that exists in this world, everything that exists, whether physical or spiritual, whether you be angel or demon, man or beast, living or dead or inanimate, all will confess that Christ is Lord. Even Satan and his legions will be forced to recognize his exaltation. I ask you, do you now recognize His exaltation, brothers and sisters? If you do not, you will. Far better to repent now, to cling to Christ, the suffering servant, shamed, than to fall on your knees before Christ, the glorious King. And that's what we see in the third place here, that Christ's exaltation is confessional. It is superlative. It is ubiquitous. It is also confessional. Paul says in verse uh, 10 and 11, all will bow, all will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord for the glory of God the father the picture paul paints of the final judgment is that of all of creation swearing fealty to christ all of creation confessing that they rule over that he rules over them that they should have been his servants The whole world must one day fall before him and confess that Jesus is Lord. This is far different from what we saw in Jesus' day. In the time of Jesus' humiliation, every sphere of religious and secular government rose up against Christ to condemn him. During his life, few bowed the knee to him. During his life, very few confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord. Throughout history, it has been the same. And even today, there are few people who recognize and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's why we see throughout history the true church persecuted. That's why we see the Philippians under-suffering. That's why we see even today the governments of this world despising the Lord. But soon comes the day when all of that will change. The words of Psalm 2 will prove true. Ask of Me, says the Father, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the end of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Brothers and sisters, look upon Christ in His exaltation. Look upon Him in His glory. Being in the name above every name being the name that will be confessed by all, that all will declare that He is Lord. How can we be proud when we will bow the knee before this Most High King? How can we be self-serving when we're servants of the name above all names? When that same One who was our servant is now the King of kings, the Lord of lords, crowned with glory and honor above all, through all, in all. How can we be proud and self-serving when we see such a One as this? Beyond this, Brothers and sisters, in Christ's exaltation, we can see that God exalts the humble. Verse 9 tells us that it is because Christ humbled himself that God exalted him. Now there's a big difference between the humility of Christ and our humility. Christ lowered himself below his true station for our sakes. We lower ourselves to our right station for others' sakes. Nonetheless, God declares in Scripture that He opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. If in this sight of Christ we humble ourselves, the implicit promise of verse 9-11 through 11 is that God will lift our heads. Brothers and sisters, Do you have it in your heads and in your hearts this morning that humility befits those who have seen Christ? That if we catch a true glimpse of the one who lowered himself for our sake and is now exalted, do you understand that we should have then humility ourselves? Do you seek and desire humility? Paul exhorts us to humility. Verse 5. Have the same mind that was also in Christ. As we conclude this morning, we need to ask ourselves in this passage, how then? How can we live humble lives while we worship Christ, while we wait for His return, while we examine and view His death? The ample is, answer is simple. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. This should be true for everyone here this morning who is truly in Christ. Children, if you love Christ let his mind be in you. To speak of practical matters for a moment, whether you are with your friends or at home, remember what Christ did for you. How he humbled himself and helped others. How he's now glorified. To help do chores around the house. To say, I am not worthy of being served. Let me serve others because Christ served me. Giving up something when someone else wants it becomes a lot easier, boys and girls, when you remember that Jesus left heaven for you. Mothers and fathers, likewise, let this mind of Christ be in you. Your task of raising children can be difficult. Children can be brats. But the fact of the matter is that Christ came to this earth to die for the sake of those who are not even his children. He said, I will call my children those who are not my children. Can you not, mothers and fathers, humble yourselves Place yourselves below your children and say, I will care for them even though they don't deserve it. It becomes a lot easier to take the form of a servant when we see Christ our servant. Couples, let this mind of Christ be in you when you're in an argument with your spouse, when they make a mistake, or they sin against you in some way, remember that Christ came to die for a poor sinner like yourself who sins against Him continually. And remember this, brothers and sisters, that though you must bow the knee before Christ, your eternal Savior, nonetheless, even at the right hand of the Father, He intercedes for you. Becomes a lot easier to forgive your spouse, to be a servant to your spouse, when you see how Christ died for his bridegroom or his his uh, his bride. Finally, most importantly, church. Let this mind be in you that it was in Christ, when the other members of this church are fools or are arrogant. We are sinners after all. Fallen. Dust of the earth. When others seem not to care for you in this church, remember Christ and His suffering. When someone slanders against you, remember they slandered Christ too. When someone makes a poor decision or sins against you, Remember how they sinned against Christ. And let this mind which was in Christ be in you as well. If you are truly in Christ, brothers and sisters, that now that Christ is exalted above every rank, every name, every power, yet He deigns to rule over and bless His church. Pray to Christ then to take away your pride to teach you humility when you are in this church and others sin against you. Let this mind be in you for the glory of Christ. And if you do not know or bow down now to Christ, brother, sister, friend, come before Christ now. Come before this Suffering, shamed servant, humble yourself. Take a view to your true position and declare and trust that in Christ alone there is salvation. In Christ alone, this servant is their blessing. Let this mind be in you which was in Christ as well. So that in serving others, you might glorify God. In trusting in Christ, you might glorify Him. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we we consider the life, the death, the resurrection, the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we see the humility that it should create in us. We see the humility that it should build in us to have a Lord who is above all, yet who made himself of no repute. To see a Lord who made himself of no repute and then was exalted by the Father. We pray, Lord, that we would lower ourselves to our true position, that we would, as Paul says, in humility consider others as more important than ourselves. We pray this, Lord, in all of our relationships, but we pray especially for this to be the case in the church, that we would care for each other, serve each other place ourselves below each other for the unity of the church so that when the world seeks to destroy us, we may say, yet we have a Savior. And we may hang together so that we will not hang separately. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.